Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. So we're in week one. It's been weird. The news has been bad, and the word super strain and mutant strain is being said more than makes me feel comfortable, considering I came in with a very, like, fresh New Year vibe, thinking it's all going to be different and it's feeling a little bit the same, and uh, people are behaving badly publicly, Bean Dad's been weird, people are angry with AOC, I, I just, it's too much, it's too much chaos. So let's just breathe. I um I actually talked this week on uh, on social media if you if you do follow me on Instagram about uh, anxiety and how I cannot believe it took me this long to go on meds for my anxiety and how really I only kind of started dabbling with them last February and I think that there was genuinely this this feeling in me you know I maybe I, maybe I've even said it on this podcast like an ignorant asshole that. I believe in treating the cause, not the symptom, um, when I'm talking about mental health as if it's a tooth abscess. And I was wrong because what I forgot about is that sometimes the symptoms can be so bad that you can't even see the cause. And also sometimes there just isn't a cause. Sometimes you just have uh, a, a, like a general anxiety disorder or sometimes you have a chemical imbalance or sometimes fuck knows what's going on. But if you have symptoms for anything... Treat them with whatever you can. Now, for you, if that's meditation or yoga or whatever, that's great. But for me, it was so severe, it had to be meds. And so I I just wanted to take the opportunity of it being the beginning of the year just to talk to all of you, anyone who follows me anywhere, that, um, apart from that weird guy who sometimes follows me around the supermarket, this isn't for him. Um, but for everyone else, I I want to just say, if last year was really, really, really hard, and if until now you've tried to just kind of like stick through it or you valued stoicism uh, or you thought there's any kind of like valour in just suffering and bearing it, you know, or like me, you thought, no, 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 because I'll just be, I'll, it'll only be topical. Um, that's not true. And if you are lucky enough to have any kind of access to mental health care, take it, take whatever you can and know that you're in control and it doesn't mean it's going to be forever and it can just be for now to get you through the roughest time. We are going through the roughest time of our lives. So please know that I don't think it's embarrassing and the thousands and th hundreds of thousands of people who commented on my posts and sent me DMs also don't think it's embarrassing. More people are doing this than you know, but there's just they're too embarrassed to talk about it because it's so stigmatised and so unspoken about. So I hope that you're looking after you and... As someone who never takes more than truly about three minutes into a headache before I reach for pills, I uh, I now am someone who will forever make sure to have the same speed at treating my mind because it's as valuable, if not more so. And so that's just a little early year 
vulnerable moment from me, just hoping that you know that we're all in this together and no one has their shit fully together. And if they say they do, they're probably lying. Or they're a smug bitch. You know that? Regardless of their gender. Smug bitch. They're like you. No, I'm joking. I'm I'm <laughs> gonna stop talking about that now. Uh, instead of going to talk about the exact opposite of what vibe I just gave off, a doctor of optimism. Now I did not think that that was a thing. It sounds like a fake thing, but it is in fact real. I had the honour of being able to sit down this week with Dr. Deepika Chopra, who is a doctor of optimism. She is fantastic. She's so interesting. And she brought all the information that we need at this time of year where we're, because you you and me, we're not interested in getting thinner this year. We're not interested in, in what we look like. We're interested in becoming happier, I hope. I hope that that's, that that's what this year is for us. It's new year, not new me, new year, happier me, more authentic me, more stable me, hopefully. And she just drops truth bomb upon truth bomb upon truth bomb of how the brain works. She's so scientific with it. She's so literal and humane and relatable and just fascinating. And she breaks down the difference between visualizing and the problem with the way that people talk about manifesting, which I find super problematic. And if you're suddenly having a reaction to me saying that, listen to the episode, hear what we have to say about it. She talks about how the brain is an anticipatory organ. She had a super interesting journey with surrogacy, which is again, something that we don't talk about a lot. I think it's the first time I've spoken about it on this podcast, but I never hear women just being open about being a surrogate because there's so much unnecessary shaming that goes on around this subject as if somehow you are either cheating or you are stealing or you were a failure that baby isn't really yours and she really breaks it down she broke down why she had to do it and the beauty of it and what's tricky about it and the ways in which she became territorial she just really goes there so rather than continuing to tell you how great she is i'm just going to let you listen for yourself uh, i'm i'm now a big fan of this woman. Please join me in welcoming into the new year the excellent Deepika Chopra. I'm in a fucking filthy mood today, so it's just as well I'm talking to optimism doctor Deepika Chopra. Hello, how are you? Hi, so nice to be here. I love that you're in a uh, in a fucked mood right now. Yeah. It actually makes it a perfect perfect conversation. Oh yeah, the world is not on my fucking side today. I'm furious. I'm furious, and uh, it's so great to finally get to an age where I can just admit that and not be worried that someone will find me unpleasant or grumpy. It's like you know what, I am fucking unpleasant and grumpy sometimes, and and I like just owning it. And I, I think it, for me, I find it not only liberating, but also helpful to other people that I'm talking to. So if I seem a bit edgy, they don't immediately take it personally, because I feel like that's the human condition to immediately worry. that yes. Oh, no, have I done something? Are they angry with me? Is this about me? I think it's very important to announce that you're already having a shit day beforehand. Yeah, put so it that, out there. Yeah, so that, that you don't, no one takes responsibility for it. Yeah. It's like a PSA. It's like a warning. Yeah. Just so you know, yeah. and my mood can change, but this is where I'm at right now. Yeah. And it's, it's, 
absolutely bloody bizarre that people would think that we would be in the same mood or in a positive mood all the time, every single day. Like it's actually, it baffles me that some, that people would ever have that notion. And it's something that in our society is just like placed upon us all the time. I know. It's like, do you guys, has anyone read about what it's, what it means to be a human? We have a uh, Shadeen Francis on this show sometimes, who's a wonderful therapist. And she talks about the fact that we're not hungry all at the same times. And when we are, we don't want to eat all the same things. So what is this pressure to feel the same way or want the same things always constantly? Absolutely. Um, I'm thrilled to have you here. I uh, We got to meet about a week or two ago and I was just fascinated by what it is that you do. Talk to me about how you are an optimism doctor. I've, ne- I've never heard of anything like this before. <laughs> um, fair enough. It's probably the question I get asked the most. Um, and it makes sense because there was no such thing as an optimism doctor before I became the optimism doctor. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so I, my background is I have a doctorate in clinical health psychology and um, I've been studying basically the science behind optimism and hope and joy and resiliency for the past decade or so now. And um, basically through my uh, entire uh, career in graduate school, um, I would never trade it in for anything else. It was my foundation. It's why I am doing what I'm doing and why I'm here. And I think it's so important to have that background and foundation when you're working with real lives and real people. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of holes um, I felt in the field and what was offered um, to us in terms of how we could, we could offer treatment and, and tips and tools. And I felt that the field was rather antiquated and I um, personally was just like, I, I've always been very, very, very obsessed and driven by science. And I love the brain. I'm like a self-proclaimed brain nerd. And everything I was studying during grad school about the brain kept directing me to this idea that the brain is an anticipatory organ. So mm-hmm. that means that the brain is constantly working in future tense, whether that's two minutes from now, five minutes from now, an hour, a week, uh, months or years, uh, or even moments. And so an example of that is kind of like when you see something in front of you with your eyes, your brain is actually telling you what you see faster than your visual cortex is recognizing what it is. And it's sort of like those brain tricks that you've seen over the internet in the last you know few years where you can read a word and it's missing really, really integral letters, but you still read the word as if all the letters were there. Oh, and so, right. Yeah. And it, And another example of that is kind of like, um, if you think about eating something, let's say you think about eating a piece of cake. Right. I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. You think about it. I'm normally there anyway. (laughs) Your brain already releases the right amount of insulin to break down that piece of cake. And so actually, if you don't- Wait, why? Because our brains are so efficient and we want them to be efficient. We are always dealing with so much stimulation that our brain sort of creates these shortcuts And it's sort of like, I know how much insulin it takes to break down a piece of cake. She's thinking about eating the cake. She's probably going to have it. So let me just release it ahead of time. Well, if my brain knows me at all, (laughs) I am probably going to have it. But wait, is that bad for you? Because you can develop insulin resistance from having too much insulin released in your body at the same time. And obviously I'm no health expert, but that is a a thing. So if I'm thinking about cake all day, which I am, all right. And I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, but I, am I just releasing, am I just having like an insulin overdose all day because of how much I'm thinking about food? 
Well, that's such a good question. And I, of course, I'm not a nutritionist and, and um, nutrition is not my specialty. But right. what I do know about the brain is that if you're actually thinking about the cake and then imagining the cake, like you've already gone there and you're like visualizing it, yeah. like you should probably just eat the cake. Because like the amount of insulin released, you're right, is not good for you. And Fuck. if you don't give it to yourself and it's floating um, sort of within you, that's not great. So it's it's interesting when a lot of people are talking about diet plans or new like diet fads and stuff. Like it's just interesting to me that like the whole psychological piece is not addressed. Um, it would probably be so helpful to do some psychological work or visualization training or um, distraction therapy or something to think about and to help program your brain of what you want to think about. Because at that point, it's just like ever since I, I, I learned this in grad school about the brain and about the anticipatory organ, like now I'm like, if I'm thinking about the donut, I'm just going to eat the donut. I think right. it's better for me to eat the donut. <laughs> yeah. Well, you may as well have something. We may as well. You're releasing the insulin anyway. Right. Right. But the point of it, uh, and, and that's like a, that was a big like aha moment for me. And I wanted to like dive deeper into that, so but I don't do a lot of work with like diets and stuff, but do we, interesting but wait, that, sorry, do we do this with like boobs or something, you know, and penises? Like, are we just like, we see the boob, <laughs> we see the and penis. we want the boob. No, we want, um, the, we want the boob. Like it's, well, the, the, the we think point we're is having our, the boob, like our body releases something that says you're having the boob. <laughs> our our brains have something called mirror neurons. And um, when you visualize and you're able to visualize something, you're more likely to be able to achieve that or have that because your brain already doesn't really know the difference between when you're visualizing it and when you're actually doing it. So it's kind of like when you watch someone uh, go through a dance routine, um, you know, it, or you or sport in sports psychology or in athletes, like a lot of their training is actually visualizing their shot. Or, you know, their wow. stroke in golf. And it's because, of course, there's there's not a lot that can replace the physical practice, but your body has a limit and too much physical practice is not good for you. So then you have to shift to mental practice. And it's it, it's this whole idea that if you if you can visualize something, it is much more likely that your brain is going to think that that can happen. And so it will put forth the energy to make it happen. And if you can't really, and you can't get there, then that's a lot of the work we do in visual imagery. And, and, and that's what I specialize in. It's helping someone visualize something if their core belief um, sort of doesn't believe they can do something or get there. One of the, the best ways besides just working cognitively is to help them actually go through a visual imagery. So because the, if you're... Sorry, no, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but is this what they, is this what they do when, uh, when you're playing golf and they're like, you don't look at the golf ball, like don't even look at your club, just look to where you're aiming for. Yeah, That's absolutely. all you should be doing. Absolutely. And also like you'll hear athletes, um, you know, go through or even dancers go through um, performances in their mind. So they practice in real life too, but they also will like shut their, shut their eyes and in their mind go through their entire performance. And that's a type of practice too. And the mental practice, it's so important. And of course, like I live in Los Angeles. And so when I was in grad school and right out of grad school, so much of the work I was doing at first, I did, I completed a double postdoc fellowship at UCLA and Cedars. And um, just being in LA, like so much of my work um, shifted from, I was working with a lot of cancer patients at the time at UCLA and their families. And then it, it very, uh, very quickly shifted to people in the industry. And I was doing a lot of visualization work with, with people pre-auditions and, um, you know, just pre an event. Um, 
And it's so, visual imagery is so interesting. It's a tool that we all possess. It's just a skill that we have to sharpen. And people don't know that there's actual science behind it. Like how you visualize something. Do you do it from the third person or the first person? Um, Are you using all your senses? And that's the best way. Like, are you using color? Like there's a lot of science behind this and it can be a very effective tool that we all actually already possess. It's not some expensive thing you have to buy or um, some large, you know, crazy exclusive um, club to be part of. It's part of being a human. Fascinating. So wait, okay, so break it down for me. Like an audition. I've got an mm-hmm. audition this week. How would you help me visualize to, Doing well to, in the to do well in the audition? Because I fucking hate auditions. I, I mean, my social anxiety goes through the roof. I feel very judged. The idea that you've only got one shot, like Eminem said, uh, when, <laughs> when on set you're going to have 700,000 shots right. because we do it from every different angle a million times. Like the pressure, the ridiculousness of the fact that you have to perform this perfectly live as if on theatre. I understand that's the only way they can get through so many tapes, but, you know, I have to do this with the director and with the network watching and it's going to be over Zoom which is already like so depersonalized and grotesque. Yes. Uh, and I've only really done like a couple of auditions before ever because I was so lucky with The Good Place. So so how would I, uh, how would I visualize myself? And, and anyone out there who's like maybe lost their job and they're going back for job interviews like after maybe having yes. lost their confidence this year. Like how do we, how, how would you suggest that? I would love to just understand more. The tips that would work really well for something like that. And of course, right now it's so different because you're on Zoom. But even when I worked with people then, I would want to know to plug into their visual imagery. Like, what does the audition room look like? What, you know, what does it sound like in there? What does it smell like in there? Who do you think you might meet in there? And what, what, what is, you know, like, and usually a lot of the audition rooms, people that I had been working with had been to most of, of all the audition um, rooms and buildings. So they kind of knew. And the more, the more that they could give me details about like very, very nuanced details that would trick their senses or trip up their senses that I knew what it looked like, smelled like, tastes like, whatever. Um, even if like there was a bathroom on the way in that they could stop at, that they knew what that looked like. And I could build in a ritual, like washing their hands and looking in the mirror and saying something within it. Basically, like the the visual imagery that we would do pre that is basically going through the whole audition and having it go in a way that you would expect and want it to go. And so when you actually get into the room and you see like the door handle that you told me about, we plugged it in there or like the bathroom on the way in and you did what you did and it starts, your brain starts recalling the experience that it was in before because it doesn't know the difference if that was a visual imagery. And it starts like putting you in the place that you've already prepped yourself for, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Do, do so, you think that this has been like bastardized into what I, and listen, maybe we're going to have a fight, you and me right now. Maybe we're, we're, maybe okay. we're about to have a fight. But I, okay. this whole like manifesting discussion, oh, I find I love fucking... That you brought, I love that you brought this, the M word up. Um, this is usually a fight I have with other people, um, sort of colleagues, because I feel like when I started studying optimism um, and resiliency and happiness and the science behind it, like over a decade ago, it was a little too woo-woo for the right. science community. And it was a way too sciencey for the woo-woo community. And now for some reason, um, I get into I get into it a lot. So I don't believe in the type of manifestation that is make a vision board, say what you want to the universe, and then expect oh, some real shit for to... That. 
expect some shit to <sighs> drop into your lap. Yeah, man. I think it is, uh, it is, that is, to me, I am so offended by the culture of like mainstream, predominantly white, but just generally like mainstream Western. It's very privileged. Manifestation. It's the, it's the height of privilege. It's the height. Like, and, Absolutely. And, and it's so victim shaming. Like this is my problem with manifestation. I and mean, look, everyone's got their process. I'm so sorry if I'm shitting on yours, but just please understand this comes from a place of, of A, having lived in extreme poverty when I was younger or being incredibly sick or in a, in an environment that I could not get out of. And remembering that there are people from my home country, you know, uh, who are living without limbs or living in abject actual poverty where they and can't they even access water. And they did not manifest that. And they didn't <laughs> manifest that. The idea that you can think your way out of like extreme crisis then means that the people who are living currently in crisis that they cannot avoid or avert yes. from that's somehow their fault. Like they weren't positive enough. It's like the women who are born with like children who have severe disabilities, they didn't think yes. positively enough. Like I find it to be a scary, toxic and yes. hyper-simplified, uh, frustrating, dangerous ideology. Well, it, well, when you, and when you look at it that way and, and people really like simplify it down to like, like ask for it and then it comes. Yeah. And that just to me is like, so perfect example is I spent, you know, a really big part of my fellowship as a psycho-oncologist at UCLA. So I saw cancer patients and their families. And I worked in a wonderful center at UCLA that offered free services. And it was holistic and science-based to any patients that were being treated at UCLA and their families. And it was lovely. But the amount of people that we had coming in for therapy and for you know going through treatment psychologically that were just like, you know, I have seen every single practitioner in in all the land and all of them are telling me that like I created this and I thought it and I'm so scared now and I've manifested this. And I'm like, you did not manifest your cancer. Like, that, oh like the whole premise of like, and then and then they're like, and if I work really hard and I think about it really hard, I can make it go away. Right. And so like that to me was the height of like a learning experience of this stuff is is not oversimplified. It's the same, it's the same way that I think of, I don't believe in blanket statement affirmations. And I get, I get into fights about this all the time mm -hmm. with people. It's, I, I wrote an article about this and thankfully it kind of went viral and the people that were responding were actually more like in agreement with it. And like, thank God someone's saying this, but I don't believe that if you have a core belief and you've worked on it for many, many years for many different types of reasons and experiences in your own life, but you have a core belief that you don't love yourself, okay? Or you don't deserve love. Mm. And then you go to like some type of coach or wherever, or you read a book and they tell you to just look into the mirror every morning when you wake up and every evening before you go to bed and five times repeat, holding your heart, you know, center, I love myself. I'm worthy. I love myself. I'm worthy. Your brain is very smart. Your brain is very effective. Our brains are trained to take bullshit and magnify it and call it out and say, are you kidding me? You've spent 37 years thinking the opposite. And now you're going to tell me that I'm, I, I love myself in front of a, of a mirror. No way. I'm going to give you all the evidence right now on why you're wrong. And not only that, but you're like stupid to say that. So like your brain works against you in that way where it's like, it, you have to be authentic and real. If you don't believe the affirmation that you're saying, do not repeat it, please. The better work is to work with someone to have a real mindset shift. And maybe a better question is, you know, what's something, anything that you like about yourself? It could be small, it could be big, yeah. um, you know, and I work with someone and maybe they'll say, 
well, I really love how loyal I am. I'm a great friend or I tell a great story and I make people laugh. Okay, do you believe that one out of 10? How much do you believe that to be true? And if they believe it seven over 10 or greater, that I would rather them use as their affirmation. Stand in front of the mirror and say, I love what a great friend I am. This is what my whole I weigh movement is. It's all taking what, uh, you know, we've been told to think is important, which is our exterior and instead twisting it all around into like, who am I? Not what do I look like? Like I yes. am a mother. I am a cat owner. I am a great lover. I am a hard worker. I've overcome abuse or trauma. Like I, I, you know, we weigh the sum of all of our parts and, and I'm exactly like that. You know, I feel like I, I ran away from all of this kind of, you know, you refer to it as toxic positivity. And so do I, like, this is this idea that like, just love yourself, just love yourself. It made me feel like I was failing at yet another fucking thing. I was like, I'm not being able to love myself. And also it is denying the truth that everything in the world, Everyone in the world, everything in the world is telling me to hate this thing that I'm now being told to just automatically somehow be able to override all of that external programming yes. and love. Like, I can't love myself. I'd rather just not fucking think about my cellulite or my thighs or my this, that and the other, my hair, my face, my nose. I'd rather not think about it and instead think about things that I actually yes. do like. So that's the key. And it's like, someone will come to me and say that. And I'm like, okay, you've spent 30 plus years on this core belief that you don't like the way you look. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm right now, I'm, you know, this might sound surprising, but I'm not going to ask you to to throw that away. I'm going to ask you to just, that's fine. And you keep it. And I believe you, I believe that you feel that. And I believe there's reasons that you have come up with to feel that. And I'm not going to take that away from you. Right. But like, can you tell me about one thing that you do like about yourself or, you know, one thing that you're proud of. And I'm talking like, it could be coming here right now. That is, that's enough, you know? And then like the way that the brain works is we love to seek out and collect evidence. We're kind of like just little detectives. And I would much rather, it's a slower process, but it's real and it's real mind shift, mindset shift. The more you can come up with things that are true and authentic to you. So yes, I'm a good lover. I am a great friend. I tell a great story and you believe these things and your brain knows that they're true. And so you spend more time thinking about that. It starts to pick out other evidence in your day and then into your weeks and easier shortcuts into like picking those evidences out and creating them to be more and more until you get to the point which takes time but you actually kind of start to dispel that original core belief and you may start to soften and turn the corner and make a new core belief but it's not going zero to a hundred it's not like you're driving down the 405 at like a hundred miles per hour and then all of a sudden you screech and turn like you'll crash like you can't go from I don't like the way I look to I'm beautiful. You just can't go there. That's not how we work. Mm. Our brains are much smarter than that. We are much smarter than that. And we should be giving ourselves a lot more credit than that. A hundred percent. And I encourage the messaging, you know, that is out there to kind of like help people, I guess, help guide people towards that messaging. But I, yeah, again, it's what, it's my whole body neutrality shit. Like it's all, everything I stand for is just trying to at least get to neutral because I just don't want to think about it at all. I don't want to go through the argument in my brain. Yes. And neutral. I love that you brought that up. For me, I always talk about that. Neutral is such a valuable, underrated emotional Mm. state of being. You don't have to be positive and you also don't have to be the opposite of that negative. Like there is so much value in being neutral, in just being neutral. And I think like we are in this really um, sort of weird state in the last like handful of years where we 
are trying to live our lives pressured by like bumper stickers. And it's like this whole, oh my God, if there's one phrase that I hear that gives my, makes my skin crawl, it's good vibes only. Yeah. It is such like, and I get it. It comes from an intentional place of like, I just want to spread the good and I want to spread the positive. But actually yeah. what people don't know is when you say that, it's actually, it's shame. It's, it's causing shame and it's actually causing for the vilification of someone being able to experience the full range of human notion of human emotion. And that's literally what we were built to do. We yeah. were built to experience the full range of human emotion. We were not built as humans to just experience the good vibes only. I mean, I came in, I came into this podcast with no good vibes. <laughs> it was zero good vibes. And that's bad okay. Vibes only. <laughs> yeah. Right. Bad and that's like and and I like to look at it where I'm just like vibes. Like yeah. even putting like a even putting, you know, any sort of um positive or negative to it, it's like it, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense and it actually when you try when you start to understand that it goes literally against what it means to be a human, it helps us release our shoulders and help us release some stress and pressure because we're like, we're not actually meant for that. So when you look through and you scroll through social media and you're just like bombarded by the perfect lives and, you know, everything's happy and perfect, perfect relationship, perfect filtered face, perfect makeup, perfect body, perfect, 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 perfect. Like none of that's real. Perfection actually doesn't exist. And I'm trying to tell you this from a scientific point of view it doesn't exist. And I think like it's it, the more we can talk about it and spread the truth, um, you know, it, it, we're setting ourselves up if we don't do that for massive failure, including the ask and it just will come into my lap because maybe that works a couple of times. And that, it, by the way, is a coincidence. It's not because you have manifested something. That's not how it works. Like, like to achieve something, you can't just want it. Not only do you have to want it, you have to expect that it can happen. And when you expect that it can happen and your brain thinks it can happen and it will happen, your brain starts to turn on its problem solving um, skills and you are able to achieve that. I'm trying to say that you can achieve all those things, but it takes hard work and it takes real mindset shift. And I always like to say that, you know, my big thing is like, you don't always get what you want. You do not always get what you want, but you most always get what you expect. So it's really important to start working through and being intentional and really getting to know like your expectations more so than like what you want. That's tricky though. That's tricky though, because some people, because of society and and how much society's ostracized most communities, you might expect less than what you're actually capable of. You know, I know that imposter syndrome, et cetera. No, you absolutely do. But you, but to know that and to be intentionally aware of it, is a tool and a skill. Right. Like absolutely that happens. That's exactly what happens. And it's not our fault that some of our expectations are are not matching our wants at all. It's part of the framework of our lives and and where we've come from and the experiences we've had and what we've been dealt. But we have to know people are very obsessed right now with knowing what they want. But I wanted it and I knew I wanted it and I thought about it and I visualized it and I and I want it. I want, want, want. But it's like, if you don't actually think that it can happen and you don't do the work, which it takes a lot of work, but it's not, it's not about, um, you know, it's not about being passive and just expecting that like, yeah, well, I wanted it. So why isn't it here? I should have manifested it. Right. Exactly. I'll give you an example. I was working with a 
18-year-old when I was at UCLA. This is a really long time ago. And he was my toughest patient because, you know, he was an 18-year-old male and he had been diagnosed with testicular cancer. And it was just awful. And he was very angry, um, of course. And we worked together for a long time, but he was a soccer player. And he played um, a soccer game with his league every single weekend. And I remember, you know, we would talk about going in for scans and him, you know, just automatically assuming that the scan would be bad news after he was done with treatment. Right. And, and, and I can't guarantee to him that if he visualized the scan going well or, or poorly, that the outcome was going to be that. I cannot, I'm not a magician. You are not a magician. Like no. that's not what we're doing. But the point is I asked him, Every single weekend that you go play soccer against another team, every Sunday when you go on the way to soccer, do you believe deeply that you are going to lose? No, he says, of course, I don't believe I'm going to lose. I believe we're going to win. Can you guarantee that if you are believing you're going to win, that you're going to win? He's like, no, but I play better if I think I'm going to win. Yeah. Or what's the point of me even going to soccer if I constantly think I'm going to, I'm going to lose. Yeah. And so it's the same type of situation where, um, you know, there are physical attributes to being able to visualize, especially in something it's been researched in cancer treatment. You know, if you can visualize the treatment, your body prepares itself a little better. You're less anxious. The stress cortisol, cortisol levels go down. It might help with healing. There's a lot of different, um, you know, physical positives, but really the mental positives are kind of like, why not? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... 
Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. You know, I remember in our, our last conversation, you were telling me that, you know, when we're talking about perfection culture and how damaging it is and how, like, you know, I was telling you that I feel like we've it's gone from just being about our looks to then being about our lifestyles, then being how we are as parents, and now being to our thoughts. We're supposed to have perfect thoughts, perfect yes. thoughts that appeal to every single different individual in the world. Like, we're supposed to be perfectly educated, perfectly sound yes. of mind. We have to react perfectly to things. And I feel as though we're suffocating under this like, expectation for perfection. And you told me that actually the brain has more significant learning capacity after a mistake. That yes. that's actually when we learn the most and the most effectively is when we've made yes. a mistake. So actually yes. mistakes are the way that we will most effectively learn and kind of, you know, it'll give you that kind of, res- I don't know, that the mistakes are, are effectively the way that we are best going to learn and then make effective change. Absolutely. So um, the way that our brain works in terms of learning, cognition, and memory, we learn more, we remember more, we create these, these lasting memories from mistakes that we've made and problems that we've solved. And so oftentimes you'll hear, you know, developmental researchers say like how important it is to allow your children to make mistakes or, you know, to not, not to run in and correct someone before, you know, they're going to experience something that, you know, might not be right because you've just completely taken away the most potent form of learning and brain growth for them. That's so so funny that you say that because only in the last like six years, I'm like a meddler in my friends' relationships and lives. Um, I can call myself an Olympic gold medalist um, (laughs) because of all my meddling. Um, And it's really been like, I spent so many years trying to stop them from making all the mistakes that I've made. But I, I now I'm just kind of like, you know what? They're only going to learn. It's like, fine. You know what? Date that coke addict. Date that 45 year old coke addict. See how that goes for you. Date the guy that is, you know, do you know what I mean? Like date the guy that never calls you back or goes dark on you for like five days when you're away at work and maybe is cheating on you. Like do it. Do the, do the things that you, you know, from previous experience are bad for you. And, and you'll, you'll only learn from making the mistakes. Sometimes you have to let someone just kind of effectively sit in their own shit. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And of course I'm not like, if, if you see a, a bus about to crash into someone, please go and, and no, stop that let from them happening. Learn. Let them have the lesson. That's <laughs> what we're saying. Let them learn for the next yeah. life. No. <laughs> um, of course. And then like offering, you know, sound advice or, or whatever it is, being a good friend, being a good parent, but, but just the like core learning experience and brain growth and, and increase of, of memory and learning that you get from making a mistake and then following through and going through the problem solving to correct that mistake. Yeah. The, the memory and the learning uh, last so much longer in your brain. Whereas if you look back and it makes sense for all of us, if you look back to memories in your life, um, very few times do you remember when things just went absolutely well, like a random day that just 
everything went well. But like what sticks in your mind is when something, maybe there was a struggle or maybe you made a mistake about something or you said something that you didn't mean and then you corrected it. And and that's kind of, that's just how our brains work. It takes Why more is that? energy. Is that safety? Well, I think it takes more energy. You know how we talked about this idea of efficiency and shortcuts and it takes more energy to actually be like, wait a second, like I'm not, I'm not operating on automatic here. Something went wrong. I felt this certain way and I had to do something different and challenge myself to think of a different thing to make this better. Yeah. I, I, I am a way better, more empathetic, and I think more interesting and smarter person from all of my mistakes. I think I would be so dull if I just had everything handed to me on a plate and if everything had just gone really brilliantly. I can't imagine having, I would have much substance. I love the fact that I have, obviously the mistakes and, and you know, uh, problems feel awful in the moment because people are so unforgiving and also I feel embarrassed or, you know, um, I, I hate if I've hurt anyone um, or created any kind of harm. But after that, I feel like this, this, energy of expansion when I realized that, oh, I'm learning something now that I didn't know before. I'm becoming a better person for this. I'm excited to go and share this knowledge now with other people so that we all collectively grow in this moment. I choose to be one of the most transparent, I don't know, public figures, I guess we'll say, that there is because I'm just like, fuck, we can all learn together. And then that's exciting. And that's community. And that's like, life is just school. And that's literally the one of the hallmarks of optimism. So a lot of people think that optimism, when I ask them, like, what's a word that you would, you would use to define optimism. And of course, everyone's first word is positivity, you know, glass half full, rose colored glasses. And I, and I always like to say, like, for me, like I cannot define optimism without two key words and positivity is not one of them. The two key words that for me, that I use to help define what optimism really is, is resiliency So overcoming struggle and persevering through struggle and curiosity. So being able to be curious about your own experience and emotional experience. And and you might be going through a shitty time and feeling awful and and have, you know, emotions of anger and worry and shame and guilt and all these emotions sadness that we all experience. So first of all, having to be really intentional and mindful that you will experience those emotions. If you are a live breathing human, you will. It's part of what we do. It is normal and it's actually really, it's fine. And then, but being able to hold that emotion and, and, um, sort of respect it and say, I'm not going to squash it, put it under the rug. Cause we know through science, that's not how we get through emotions. Yeah. You have to literally, you have to lean into them, but you say, I'm going to, I'm going to respect this emotion. I feel it. I know where it's coming from. I, I respect myself for having it, but at the very same time that I feel it, I'm going to hold space for some sort of hope that something will change or I will grow from this. And then even if you can't get there, you just have to say like, I'm really curious about how I will grow from this. So that curiosity is so important. And for you, when you're talking about mistakes or when you don't know something and you're learning and you talk about, you know, how you shift into like, I'm learning for this or how will I grow from this? If you don't do that, and many of us don't, um, because it's actually scary to accept that, that we're not perfect. Um, but if you don't have, if you don't go through that and shift to that after an experience like that, then like you are missing literally the most potent growth experience of your life. Wow. You know, like, and, and to think that, 
you know, if you, if you feel that perfection is what is, you know, what is right and what is real and, and that's the golden rule, then you must be someone that thinks that, that there is no growth and there is no change. And then that defies every single law of life. Yeah, I talk about that all the time. I'm like, when you look at someone like me or someone who's been shamed publicly, be them a politician or a scientist or, this, or like an actress, I'm like, if you don't think that I can change or they can change, then deep down, you must believe that you can't change. Right. And that's fucking sad. Right. Like, if we don't right. believe in change, what is the point in activism? What is the point in rules? What is the point in, 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 in any kind of growth if we don't really and fundamentally you know believe it- in it? And there's empathy there. And I understand because change, um, although it is the most constant thing in all of our lives, everything changes. I mean, seasons, the earth, the world, the weather, um, our bodies, um, you know, we go through, even if you look at sleep, we're going through different types of sleep every night, um, different waves, like everything changes. Change is like the one constant, but it's actually the most difficult emotional human state to be in. Yeah. So it's hard for all of us. And so many of us go through the world and we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And we don't, I don't know what it is or where it shifted exactly, but we are in a society right now that it's the same thing with toxic positivity. We shun discomfort. And what if you could actually look at discomfort as that's the real thing? That's the thing. That's, that's the good the, shit. Like, that's the gold. That's the good shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the like, that is, that's everything. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the same thing like stress. Like, of course, chronic stress is really bad for your body. I mean, it is bad for our heart health, et cetera, et cetera. We go through the world like learning, um, you know, even in school, you're all, I'm always taught stress is the big bad wolf. Stress is going to kill you. Stress will make you impotent. Stress will make your heart stop. Like stress, 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 stress is bad. So what do you do when you're experiencing stress? Not only are you experiencing stress, but you're also experiencing shame and guilt for experiencing stress. Because you're like, what am I doing? And I'm not powerful enough to get through it. And I'm like, what if I told you that stress, the definition of stress is just the response to living. So if you're responding to living, you will have stress. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, speaking of perfection, speaking of optimism, speaking of how you yourself would put this into practice, you and I have spoken before about fertility, which is something that you have, you know, you've had quite a journey with through your life and you've experienced uh, some disappointments and then you've made certain decisions and then you've experienced some shaming. Um, I'd love to get into that with you. And, And first and foremost, I'd also love to learn that through your fertility struggles, how did you stay optimistic? How did you put your own work into practice? So I think like the the most important thing here is that you do not know what someone else is going through. 
And you also, you do not know when you're going to need certain things in your life uh, that you never would have imagined before. And so for me, I didn't have fertility issues, um, but I... I had my first child. He's three and a half now, almost three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got pregnant um, on vacation, kind of annoyingly, annoyingly easily. Um, just didn't mean to. I hate when people say that. It was not on birth control. So obviously I knew it was a possibility, but I had just gotten off of birth control after like 15 years on it. And so I thought it would take some time. I didn't even have a period, like, but we got pregnant and um, and that was fine. But I had the worst traumatic pregnancy. I had something called hyperemesis gravidarum and I started throwing up about 35 times a day from the day I found out I was pregnant until the day I delivered. Oh and, shit. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. And and I always tell people that my optimism and all my tools were truly tested during that. It was like having a chronic illness. I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. I could not connect to my pregnancy whatsoever. In fact, I was mad at it all the time. Um, I hemorrhaged my vocal cords. I had to have IVs um, from my bed. It was awful. Every single street in my neighborhood and beyond every freeway on the car, in the car, I always tell my son, I'm like, I threw up here. I threw up there. Um, I threw up everywhere. It was awful. And I felt like shit. And I did not have an ounce or iota of optimism, even while I was carrying, you know, the life of my future child, which many people would think would be the most optimistic time in your life, the most hopeful time in your life. And I was miserable. And it took me, I remember the exact day, but it took me over seven and a half months to have a moment of optimism. And that day that I did have that moment of optimism, it lasted for maybe 15 seconds, but it was there. Um, Mm. And then subsequently, I ended up getting very, very severe preeclampsia, not related. I don't know what that is. Sorry. I know nothing about. Basically, my blood pressure went super high and it was really dangerous. Um, I went into labor pretty early, thankfully. I had an emergency C-section and uh, thank God my son Jag was absolutely okay. And, and in the grand scheme of things, I was okay. But I went to a bunch of specialists after when I was when he was about six months old, just to be like, what happened to me? I know it was really traumatic, but I was so focused on my child then. I don't know what happened to me. And we basically ran a bunch of tests. And um, in a long story short, they found out that I have some sort of autoimmune predisposition to blood clotting. And they told me I was so lucky that nothing happened to me fatally during this time and that I would not be lucky again. So they advised me not to carry again. And it was like this huge blow where for me, it wasn't a fertility issue. So putting that out there that you just don't know, I still had to go through IVF and I didn't have any fertility issues. So I went through IVF um, to get my eggs out and we made embryos. And, you know, I had to make the decision where I knew I could get pregnant, but I look at my son and I'm like, if I were to get pregnant, they gave me like an 85% chance or higher of dying in a subsequent pregnancy. And so I, uh, you know, you would think that that was a really uh, easy decision, but every single day I struggled every month that went by, um, you know, I wanted to get pregnant again. And I just knew it would be the easier thing to do since there was all these questions and decisions in my mind of what what we wanted to do. We really wanted to have more children. We wanted to have for ourselves more children, but also a sibling for our son. And so, you know, it was pretty, pretty emotionally brutal, but at the same time, optimistic and so thankful that there were options for us. And we ended up after, you know, a year and a half or two years of of trying to figure out what we wanted to do and how it would work, 
we um, went the surrogacy journey and we found the most loving angel um, surrogate who carried our child for us. And we just had our second baby boy six weeks ago. Oh, sweet. And congratulations. And even within that, um, you know, we were going through a surrogacy journey in the middle of the pandemic, which was scary as hell. Mm -hmm. And also right now, you know, my fears were up to the tens about whether I was going to connect. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I always wondered about that because I'm I'm not very well. And so it's going to be, you know, I'd have to really risk the hell out of my life to be able to carry naturally. And like, A, there's so much shaming around surrogacy. And obviously I don't negotiate yes. with shame, so I can all fuck off. But um, but uh, it makes it hard to find information on yes. surrogacy. It or people so say that it's about. a vanity thing. Like it's an yes. act, like you don't want to gain the weight or, you know, you don't want to go through the body changes um, or you're lazy or this, that and the other. And uh, And then there is the fear that you won't connect with the baby. So I would love to know more about that, that journey. Well, I think the most, you know, and again, coming from good intentions, but the most hurtful commentary for me, um, was sort of this like unintentional, like backhanded shame, um, that I think I got that was not like flat out, like, how could you be doing this? This is weird. Cause everyone knew it was like, it was life or death for me. Um, and, and not that I have anything to say about someone that would choose to go that route that didn't have that situation, but I personally would have, would have, done everything short of signing up to die to have my second child myself. But um, that wasn't an option for me. And so I think this weird comment that people would make, like trying to make me feel better about what I considered to be a huge loss uh, is this like comment of like, well, at least at least your body's going to be intact or yeah. like, at least you don't have to like gain the weight. Oh my God, I would kill for that. Um, okay. At least, you know, at least, at least, at least like you don't have to do this or do that. And, and like the only, at least for me, that makes, that made sense was at least I could be alive. (laughs) But you know, you don't, you know, you think you're saying something. And and even with that, like people can say that and not know that that might hurt my feelings. And all I can do is if the people matter to me that I want to have a relationship with, I will tell them. And then it's up to them to learn from that. And, And all of them did. And it goes back to that, like, you know, I can't just look at that and be like, well, that was a horrible thing and you're canceled. It was, I'm, I'm guessing this came from a really great intention and you're trying to relate to my situation, but um, it doesn't feel good to, to hear that. And actually like I would, I would, I would give anything to make my body change again. If that's all that was going to happen to me to have my other, to have my next child, right. I would give anything to breastfeed again. And, you know, and I know a lot of people can't. And I, for me, I had the worst pregnancy, worst delivery. Everything was crazy, but breastfeeding was like, yes, it was gruesome and tiring. And I didn't think I would even want to ever do it in my life. I just didn't have that in me, but I breastfed for almost a year until my son literally was like, no. And it was the easiest part for us. And I, (laughs) I mourn that now, of course I can't, I like have a child that I can't. And I think about that every single day. Um, the last six weeks it's been, you know, I, there's, there's this like love and gratitude and so much hope and optimism, especially with this year, welcoming a new life. And Mm. also because of my journey and learning all the things I've learned about letting go of control, which is just crazy. Um, is it was like the utmost and like my fear of needles. Oh my gosh. I have a huge fear of needles, but all these things that I lessons I've had to learn and I look at him and I see all that in him. And I'm so, I'm also proud of myself. But I'm also like, 
at the same time, I I've cried. I have feel a loss. Like I, I want to, I want to be the one to give him all the things he needs. Like I was with my first kid, but right now everyone else can do exactly what I'm doing. They can feed him a bottle and that's fine. Fed is best. And I'm learned and that, and that's absolutely fine. And I also am like happy about that because look what I can do right now. Whereas when I was, you know, the first time around I was recovering and it took me eight weeks to recover. And I was also breastfeeding around the clock and I couldn't do anything. So there's this like being able to value and respect all of the emotions within it for me. And I have so many of them and that's okay. And I don't have to decide and label like this has been the best experience of life. And I'm only going to look at the best because when you start to talk about the things that, you know, don't feel good, you get a lot of backlash of people being like, well, you're lucky you can even have a kid. And yeah. like, it's like, that's the whole good vibes only. Yeah. That's and it's the, a, it's a, it's a position of privilege to even be able to have a surrogate. Yes. And, and, and it is. And, and can I just ask a question? Cause I think I always wondered that is that how does the surrogate not become bonded to the baby? Like how, how does that work? I've never, I've never known. Sorry for being ignorant, but no, I, I am notoriously. I, of course, that's something that my husband and I thought of, it's like, you don't want them to be so bonded that there's like this emotional distress at the end of it, but you want them to be bonded enough that they are caring for the child that they're carrying. Um, and I think that, that I've learned through it and I can't speak as a surrogate, of course, cause I, that wasn't my position. I was on the other side and, and, and I have to be so open and I would be open with my surrogate. Like when she would feel the baby kick, I'm like, I just have to let you know that makes me so happy and I want to see it, but it also makes me really jealous. And I like can't like, I, you know, like she has a, a son and she was like, oh, he's, he's, um, feeling the baby kick. And I'm like, I would look at Jag and be like, that makes me so happy. Like he's kicking. I want to see, but give me the video. But also like, it made me jealous and sad that Jag couldn't feel his baby brother kick yeah. in his mom's tummy. And so there, I think being really what worked for us and she, she was incredible and is, is incredible. And, and I am grateful for her every day. I mean, I am, I wasn't even a prayer before, but I literally think about her in the morning and I think about her in the afternoon or in the evening before I go to sleep. I just think about her and I like hold her in my thoughts. Cause I just, she's a huge part of, of my life now. And I'm so eternally grateful, but I think what really worked was just being open and me being open to maybe she was going to be bonded. And I wanted to know, and I wanted to give what do you her the do, opportunity what do you do to in speak. that situation. Well, I think for us, she was very vocal to me about feeling like she was sort of babysitting. Um, she kind of equated it to that. And and now, uh, you know, there's been times where we've talked and, and, or even right before delivery, she was like, I think, um, I wonder if I'm going to miss having, you know, him inside of me. And I was like, you know, I, I bet you, you like, for me, when I was pregnant, I just wanted him to get out because I was so ill, but she had a great pregnancy. And so I'm like, I'm, I can imagine that you might, and, and I want to know about it. You know, I want to talk about it. And they also go through, um, they also go through, um, counseling, it's part of the whole process. And many, uh, I think what's also helpful is, and of course it can be done in many different ways, but for us, we went through like very um, agency and like it was all done very like dotted I's and cross T's and and whatever that is. Um, we didn't know her before. She wasn't like a friend or anything. And, um, you know, they have their own children as well. And that's like one of the requirements. And so 
I think that makes it um, a little bit different. Um, And so I think that also like you, you have to be pretty aware of what you're getting into on both sides. And so I went into it kind of in the back of my mind, I think being like, okay, this is all my stuff stirring up. I'm valuing it, but also like, I'm sure it'll be fine because you know, all these people are saying these things and, and I like, come on, think about it. Of course you'll bond. But then like the first two days were tough. And so like, they were really tough. I have to say like, I, like I, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, like shit, like I am having some difficulty here and it's not the same and you compare it. And, and is this just a second child thing or is it part of the surrogacy? And, and you go through it and you're like, oh no. And so I think it's also important to say that like, like, the caveat with that is like, yes, like some people don't even bond with their kids and then other people bond and they're not. And, and even if you go into it thinking that or not thinking it, and then you actually have an experience where you're having difficulty, it is, it could not last forever. And it's okay. Like for me, it took me a good two days and that's just two days. And of course, like, what would I expect? I didn't have the 10 months to sort of like, you know, have the whole experience to prep my body. Like I didn't have all that. And so it, it like, of course, what was I expecting myself, you know, to just, so I think like, again, it just comes back to so much of this is about being compassionate to yourself. So much of everything we're talking about is just like the number one line of defense in any situation is to first approach yourself with compassion. Yeah. Right? And you approach this with resilience and with curiosity. And so I think yes. that's so, I think it's such an interesting way of looking at optimism. Thank you so much. This was such an Thank important you. conversation. I think in a year where, again, our value systems are shifting. And I think we are starting to hopefully step away in some ways from perfection, but in other ways we aren't. We're looking for moral purity, et cetera. I think it's a really important subject. Um, so, okay. So before I lose you, because you've got to go, and and do your job and help people. Um, will you tell me, please, what do you weigh? Ooh, well, I weigh the sum of all my parts and all my parts are so multifaceted. I am a mother. I am a healer. I am a wife. I'm a friend. Um, I'm a business owner. I am a daughter. I'm a granddaughter. I'm a sister, a cousin. I'm, uh, I sort of am a product and a, um, um, an illustration of all my relationships and all the things that I, I deeply value. And, um, I'm also a dreamer. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's great. Well, thank you so much for for teaching us so much and, and coming onto this podcast today. I'm hoping that plenty of people will find it very, very helpful. Where can people find you and your work? So uh, you can find me at Dr. 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 Deepika Chopra.com. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Deepika Chopra. And you can find my brand, Things Are Looking Up, and the Optimism Things Are Looking Up deck of cards that I've created um, at thingsarelookingup.co. And I'm also the host of the Looking Up with Dr. Deepika podcast, um, which is available on Apple, Spotify, anywhere that you subscribe to podcasts. And hopefully Jamila is coming on super soon. So I am. you can tune into that episode. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Wave with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. I really appreciate it, and it amps me up to bring on better, better guests. Lastly, at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. It's not in pounds and kilos, so please don't send that. It's all about your just, you, you know, you've been on the Instagram. Anyway, and now we would love to pass the mic for one of our listeners. I weigh as an empathetic person who won't let people abuse that empathy. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.